Welcome, everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I want to encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. You can learn more about our work and how to support it by going to traincpe.org or to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. And now to God's Word. We have been broadcasting a message on what Jesus taught about salvation. We've taken under consideration the word that Jesus used for being saved and understand that he was teaching that salvation entails being rescued from danger. It also means negating sin's destructive force in our lives. This promise of saving from Jesus came to those who he said would trust in him for it. Just as he saved people from physical harm as they put their trust in him or faith in him for their healing, so he saved people from ultimate spiritual harm when they just believed in him. Now, in Luke chapter 19, 8 and 9, we read this. After this visit the Lord has had in Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore four times. And the Lord said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, look at this, because he also is a son of Abraham. And here we have a bit of a hint of likely what was the conversation going on in Zacchaeus' house. Actually, in Romans chapter 4, Paul teaches that Abraham is the father of the faith. And Abraham's demonstration of belief was this, that he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And Paul points out that Abraham doesn't get circumcised. He doesn't follow the laws of Judaism until many years after he is accounted as being justified by his faith. Paul is trying to explain to the Jews, he's writing to, that you are not made righteous because you follow laws and rules. You're not made righteous by weeping on the Savior's feet. You're not made righteous by giving away your money to the poor. You're made righteous by having faith. You can picture the conversation, Zacchaeus, you're in dire need and you're in danger and you brought it upon yourself because of the sin that you've committed throughout your life. But listen, there's no escape for you. There's no answer for it except to believe in the provision God has given you. And I'm before you as the one who is God's provision for your sin. That's the conversation. Paul goes on and says in Galatians 3, 7, the same thing. He says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith, here's the phrase, are sons of Abraham. Only those who are of faith, only those who are of faith are following as the heirs, you might say, of the life of faith that's demonstrated in the life of Abraham, are sons of Abraham. And again, what Paul is saying reveals to us that the Spirit of God has brought to Paul something of the teaching and instruction of the Lord Jesus. Nothing that the apostles shared in the New Testament is formed from what the Lord Jesus taught. They had brought to him by the Spirit of God all that Christ had taught and instructed. And this gives us a clue at probably the kind of conversation that's going on in the home of Zacchaeus with the Lord Jesus. He's telling Zacchaeus, you need to be rescued from your sins. You're in danger. You need to be forgiven. And nothing will gain this for you but to believe that I have come from the Father to provide for your sins forgiveness. And I've come to bring you safely from sin's consequence and harm and danger. 
Do you believe this, Zacchaeus? I told you I was at a funeral yesterday and I was introduced. I was given a whole number of verses that I was to speak on just before the message, so I had to put my transcript aside. And I was introduced as someone who's going to share with everyone how they can become Christians. Now, that's kind of a difficult thing. You're at a funeral. People are mourning. They're very sad. They're mourning the loss of a loved one. And now you're going to press upon them. I've actually been at funerals where people give altar calls. And I always feel kind of uncomfortable. I feel like this is probably not the place to challenge people's belief systems and make them make some core change in their belief system and put them on the spot about what they believe and ask them to come up and make a profession because here their focus and their sights are on the person who's died. It's on the person who's gone. And to turn their sight away from their mourning, that precious moment in which they're mourning and clinging to this loved one, and to turn them to make some huge decision that deals with the cosmic end of their own life it seems a little bit you know, like a stretch to give an altar call. But then I said, I remember that when the Lord Jesus was called to go to the home of a mourning family in Bethany, they had arrived at that place. You find it in John chapter 11. In fact, take your Bibles and turn there to John chapter 11. And the Lord Jesus arrives at the place of mourning where this family Two sisters are mourning the loss of a dear brother named Lazarus. Lord Jesus comes upon them and they're so sad that Christ hasn't come before. They know in the past that Christ has demonstrated the power to raise up those who are sick, but now it's too late. Their brother has died. They've put him in the tomb. They're weeping. They're mourning. They come to the Lord Jesus expressing their weeping and mourning. And the Lord Jesus turns and speaks to them. Martha comes to the Lord Jesus in verse 21 one of the sisters, and says, Lord, if you had been here sooner, my brother had not died. The Lord Jesus turns to her and says, well, your brother will rise again. Martha says, well, I know he'll rise again at the last day in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. Look at verse 25. She's mourning. She's brokenhearted. They're before the grave where the brother is buried or in the place where the brother has died. And the Lord Jesus says, Martha, I want you to look at me. Martha, the Lord Jesus turns the attention upon himself. I want you to look at me. Look at me, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, in all of her sorrow, with all of her attention and focus upon the loss of Lazarus, Jesus comes to this place of mourning and says, no, 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 now look at me. Look at me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Now, Martha, look at me. Do you believe this? And at the place of mourning at the place of tremendous loss, at the place where this bond of mourning where she's weeping over the loss of her brother and she's seeking to cling to him for a few last moments and the Lord Jesus in a moment breaks this concentration says, no, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die but shall live. And Martha, listen, do you believe this? And he puts her on the spot. He puts her on the spot. Martha responds and says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. There's a moment of direct appeal to her belief. My last words to the people there was, well, that was Martha's response to Jesus. What is your response? If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, if he wasn't God, then that was about the most arrogant thing a person could say at a funeral, over a grave. But if he was who he said he was, it's the most important question could ever be put to you. What's your answer going to be? Now Zacchaeus has a moment like that. 
Zacchaeus is in his home and the Lord Jesus is basically saying, listen, you, you don't come to faith by following all the laws. Uh, he's saying, I've broken all the laws. I've broken every law that's been given to us in Judaism. They don't even let me come near the temple because I'm such a sinner. I have no answer for myself. The Lord Jesus says, I've come to deliver you from your sins. I am God's answer. I'm the Messiah. Do you believe this? Zacchaeus, do you believe this? Zacchaeus responds that he believes it and Zacchaeus gives this answer. Zacchaeus believes and his faith transforms him and in the moment of this transforming faith he cast away all the things that he's held on to and he's clung to as his only hope against the ruin and the attrition that comes upon him in life and he, he throws it away with joy because he just wants to hold on to the Lord Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to give away half of my wealth to the poor. I want to repay four times all I've stolen from and I can hear the Lord Jesus laughing when he says it. <laughs> Today, truly salvation has come to your house. You are a son of Abraham. How? He believed. He had faith. You believed in me as God's answer for your sin, that I've come to seek and to save those, to sozo and bring into safety those who are lost. But I want you to see this. It was the teaching and expectation of our Lord Jesus that salvation was evidenced by a change in a person's condition. When you're saved, when you're delivered, you stop clinging to hopeless useless things and you cling to Jesus instead you stop holding on to things that you think will keep you safe or will assuage you or or bring some comfort to you that were things that are actually being in destruction in your life and you release them and you go and hold on to Jesus now if you're holding on to your past if you're holding on to some possessions and clinging to them as your hope for the future if you're holding on to some soothing sin because to some extent, it's brought relief to you in the moments of tension and, and difficulty in your life. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you've not been saved by the Lord Jesus, but it does mean that you've not realized the fullness of your salvation in Jesus. It does mean that you've not begun to understand the depth of forgiveness you received by simply believing and trusting in Him. That you've escaped condemnation by merely putting your faith, merely, only putting your faith upon Jesus Christ alone and believing in Him. But the more you realize, that's how your salvation comes to you. It just comes by finding him. No answer in your work, no answer in your labor, no answer in something you have to prove by just holding on to him. The more you realize that, and the more you accept that, and the more you, God binds that by, to your heart by his spirit, the more God begins to work through his salvation to negate further and further the influence of sin in your life. And he turns you back into the wholeness he has for you. And he brings you away from patterns of sin because it's, it's in him. And, and you're able to release those things. And you want to release those things. And you find power to release those things because your heart, and your, your heart of faith is just clinging to him alone. Here's the third thing I want you to see here. This is more, not necessarily what Jesus taught about salvation, but what Jesus mirrored in his teaching about salvation. It's this. This saving work of Jesus brought him near to sinners and made him their friends. This, by the way, was the accusation that was brought upon Jesus all the time. He was accused of hanging out with a low crowd, of not being discerning about those that he gathered around him. The thing that came to Simon's mind when that sinful woman came in and began to touch the Lord Jesus' feet and wash his feet was, how can this man be a prophet of God? Doesn't he know this woman is a sinner? How can he let her get so near to him and touch him and I want you to take your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 for a moment. We were there uh, in Luke chapter 15. We read it as our scripture reading. I want you to go to the very last words in Luke chapter 14. It's a brilliant observation that was put together by G. Campbell Morgan in his book, The Teaching of Christ. 
He takes us to the very last words of Luke chapter 14. He reminds us that when we read our Bibles, we sometimes just need to get the chapter headings out of the way. We need to go on to the next verse without having any break. And he shows us what the last word in chapter 14 of the Lord Jesus. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. And then the first words of chapter 15 are this. Then drew near to him tax collectors and sinners to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And then he shows us what the Pharisees were saying. The Pharisees and the scribes murmuring, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. He receives them and he eats with them. And then based upon that, the Lord Jesus begins to say a series of parables to demonstrate that God's heart is for people who are lost in their sin. He shares the story of the lost sheep. He shares the story of the lost coin. He shares the story of the lost son. And in it, you see kind of a Trinitarian formula. The son, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd who seeks out to find the lost sheep. The Holy Spirit is that sweeping motion. He's, it's the woman who has lost her coin that's searching for a coin and finds it and it rejoices when she finds her lost coin. It's Father God who longs for and looks for those who have wandered from him and waits for their return and receives them gladly and embraces them to himself. And each one of these show a condition of God's loving, longing search for lost people and no matter how sinful they are. And of course, the prodigal son sets up the picture of sin and the sinfulness of these individuals. And yet the father longs for them. You go on to read actually the very next chapters. Read chapter 16, read chapter 17, and you'll see that in, in these accounts. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.